I want to talk about healing this morning. And the reason I want to talk about healing is uh, the older I've got, uh, I've become, the more I've realised um, how broken we all are and how much we need healing uh, of the body, of the spirit and of the heart. And some of us uh, display our brokenness in, in one way, some in another. Some, uh, it's um, insecurity that means we feel we have to put other people down um, in order to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. And it's just sad. And um, I know that a number of you watching online, and welcome to those of you online, um, um, you know, you've, you've written to me to say how appalling it is and it shouldn't happen in, in a church where we're meant to love one another and encourage one another. And we have told him on a number of occasions, but we just, we just keep going. We've got to keep, yeah, you just got to love the broken. I want to talk this morning, and I enjoyed saying all that. I want to talk this morning about healing and uh, I, I want to su suggest that there are four kinds of healing. Uh, the first kind of healing is spiritual healing, which I would define as um, the forgiveness of sins and the restoration of relationship with God. And that, I'll say at the outset, is the most important healing. It's the, it's the number one healing. When we used to do the festivals uh, in the summer, on the first night, we would preach the gospel and invite young people to give their lives to Jesus to come forward. And I would nearly always say at the end, this has been the highlight of the three and a half, four and a half days. I can't even remember how long we used to go for. Uh, this has been the highlight. It all goes downhill from here. Um, it really does. Um, whatever else happens, if people come out of wheelchairs, uh, get healed of terminal cancer, um, fly around the room, Nothing beats this. This is the best. Um, spiritual healing. Then there's physical healing. And we see uh, that Jesus uh, went around preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing the sick. And in fact, it's been said that if you open Mark's gospel anywhere, you will find Jesus is either healing someone, on his way to healing someone, or on his way back having healed someone. Um, and uh, it's fairly true of the other Gospels as well. And it, not just Jesus did that, but the early church did it. If you read the story of the early church in the Acts of the Apostles, uh, they pre proclaimed the Gospel of the Kingdom. They proclaimed Christ and Him crucified. And uh, they healed people. And people were delivered of physical things. Then a third kind of healing uh, is emotional healing. And uh, emotional healing is the healing of the heart and of the mind and of the brokenhearted and uh, of those um, who, for all sorts of reasons, may not be able to live in truth and end up believing lies about themselves, other people, and the world around them. And Jesus is just as committed to healing us of our broken hearts as he is of healing us of our broken bodies. And uh, there's a, a, a well-known uh, scripture that I keep quoting, and I forgot it at the first service. I think I'm going to get it at this one, uh, from Isaiah, uh, which says, He gives us beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, 
the garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair, that we might be oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, so that he might be glorified. And this is the gospel. The gospel is for our broken hearts as well as our broken souls and our broken bodies. And then the fourth type of healing is, um, is uh, deliverance from evil spirits. And uh, uh, sometimes uh, an evil spirit can, can um, affect an area of our lives, uh, can, can ride on the back of hurt or pain or serious sin or a traumatic incident and, and, and cause us to, to stay addicted to behavior. Now, what I wanna say about these four types of healing, it sounds like they're in four boxes, but they're really, really not. It's, they're, they're so interlinked. They're so interlinked with each other. So often, so often emotional healing is linked with physical healing. You know, doctors call them psychosomatic illnesses. Sometimes, sometimes our bodies tell the story of what is going on in our hearts and in our minds. Uh, sometimes sometimes a, a, a demonic presence can, can prevent us from getting physically well. Uh, sometimes it's when we come to know Jesus and his love and the forgiveness of sins and our guilt is taken away that we find that, that healing in other areas naturally follows. So that you, they're often interlinked. It's helpful to see them as four kinds, but not put them in four separate boxes. And we see this throughout the scripture uh, in the life of Jesus. <coughs> um, in, in Mark chapter one, for example, um, in verse 40, uh, we read this. A man with leprosy came to Jesus and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, I just want to unpack that one line for a moment. He came to Jesus and begged him on his knees. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, lepers in those days, well, it was a physical um, disease, illness. It was uh, very contagious. Uh, their skin would fall off. Their skin would, it would be horrible. It would be really painful. Uh, but also, um, they, they had to stay apart. They would live often in leper colonies because it was so contagious that others didn't want to get near them. And sometimes they would have to ring a bell to let people know that they were coming so other people could keep away from them. They would be disfigured. So there would be a physical problem. There would be uh, an emotional problem. Uh, and, and the two would be wrapped up together. And this guy, he came to Jesus on his knees begging, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And then it says Jesus was indignant. Jesus was upset. Jesus was offended, if you like. And then it says he reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Now that was a physical healing, but I wanna suggest it was more than a physical healing. The, the guy wasn't sure about Jesus, if you're willing. Jesus was, was indignant. And I think the sense of it was, if I'm willing, if I'm willing, you and I clearly haven't met before. Of course I'm willing. Of course I'm willing. 
And he stretched out his hand and he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed. He was cleansed from his physical disease. I think uh, a relationship with God was established at this point. Oh my word, you are willing. You, you do want relationship with me. You don't hold your nose when I come to you. You, 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 you come near to me. Uh, but also, as a result, an emotional healing and even a relational healing. You know, from then on, he could mix with other people. He didn't need to look in the, in, in the mirror, if you like, and be horrified with how he looked. Then, just later on, in Mark chapter 2, four men bring their paralyzed friend on a mat to Jesus, and he's in a home giving a seminar, uh, chatting with people, and the place was full. They couldn't get him in. They were so desperate, they got up on the flat roof and they dug a hole in the roof and they, they brought the man down. I mean, talk about determination uh, in front of everyone. And uh, Jesus uh, says, um, uh, your sins are forgiven. And then he says, rise up, take up your mat and walk. And then he says to those who are indignant, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or rise up, take up your mat, and walk. And you see, it's the two. It's in, on this instance, it's the spiritual healing uh, linked with the physical healing. The two here belong together. And um, then um, if we go to, to, to John chapter five, uh, Jesus goes to the pool of Bethesda, and there were a great number of disabled people. They used to lie there the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Uh, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lie, lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? And then he healed him. And you know what? That's a very, that's a very perceptive question as you would expect from Jesus. You know, if you've, if you've had a condition for 38 years, sometimes you can get used to that condition. Sometimes the enemy can almost become a friend. Sometimes, sometimes it's like, oh my goodness, I, I, I've, I've known this all my life. If it suddenly went away, what would my life be like? I'm used to this. It may be that it's an addiction. Uh, it may be it's a way of seeing the world. It may be another aspect of brokenness. And, and Jesus asked, um, would you rather live with this condition or do, do you want to get well? Are you willing for change to happen? Because we have to be willing for change to happen. And then he heals the man. And I, I could go on. Um, there's, there's later on, um, uh, there's um, the guy um, who's, um, who's had the legion of demons in Mark chapter five. And it's in the region of the Gerasenes and Jesus goes there. And this guy has been living in tombs in the mountains. He's been living with dead people. They chained him because he was so out of control. He would scream in the night and he would, he would tear his clothes off and run around naked. And so he was a complete, total, and utter outcast. He was a complete outcast. And then 
um, Jesus came and he was talking to a bunch of people and this guy came shouting at him. The demons were shouting. Jesus stopped what he was doing with everyone and, uh, and dealt with the man and cast a legion, which was about 2,000 demons out of the man and they went into a bunch of pigs. So he delivered him from the, from the afflicting demons, but then also he healed him emotionally and relationally. The man then said, hey, can I come with you? I want to come with you. And Jesus says, no, go back to your family. Go back to your home and tell them of the good things that God has done for you. You see, he loved them. He could have used him as his, as his opening act before I speak. Let me get this guy who had a legion of demons and now is normal to come and give his testimony. And then you'll listen to me. But he doesn't. He doesn't use him. He says, go back and be reconciled to your family. Your family that heard you screaming in the night. Your kids that were embarrassed because their friends were saying, your, your dad runs around naked. Your wife who's brokenhearted. Your parents who wonder, what did, where did we go wrong? Go back there and be healed in every way. And we see this again and again and again, not just in the Gospels, but in the story of the early church, the book of Acts. Now, we could do a whole conference on this, uh, the four kinds of healing, but I just want, in, what, in the short time that I've got remaining, uh, to, to look at one aspect of healing, which I think is, is actually really vital. That we, It's vital we step into it all, but this one, I think in these days in particular, which is healing of the heart, healing of the emotions. Uh, we live in a world of broken people. We live in a world uh, where lots of people are carrying secret shame, uh, secrets that it, they, they fear if anyone found out, uh, they would be ostracized because of what they see on social media. You know, there's all sorts of things like that. And, and um, we live in a world where so many are basket cases. And I need to say this. You are basket cases. I'm looking at you. And I want to talk about one of the basket cases in this church for the next few minutes. Actually, me. Because I am a basket case. And uh, I'm not doing this because I want to, because I promise you I really don't want to, but because I hope that this might be helpful to look at a process. Um, I was born into a family of immigrants. They came from, they were Greek Cypriots. They came from Cyprus, my parents. I was the oldest child. Bless them, it didn't occur to them to teach me English before I went to school. And in those days, you started school when you were five. And my first day at school was one of the most traumatic days of my life. I suddenly, without warning, was thrust in the midst of all these screaming kids and in this big building that seemed huge. It's funny, you know your junior school, when you, your primary school, when you go, it's huge. And then years later as an adult, you go and visit it. And it's like, oh my goodness, I think there are homes that are bigger than this. Do you, does, has anyone else? Yeah, any good. And, 
and, and I remember the teacher peeling me off my mum, screaming and sitting me at a desk and not understanding a word anyone was saying. And in the break times, I would walk up and down the playground on my own while all the other kids played. And, and I just felt humiliated and I felt ashamed. And, and after a while, I used to hide behind a wall uh, during the break time so that the other kids wouldn't see my embarrassment. And at lunch times, I'd, I would hide in the toilet so that no one would see me, something I still do sometimes to this day, um, and so that no one would find me. And I, 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 I still remember, and it was, my goodness, it was, nearly, it was 59 years ago, and I still remember seeing uh, a teacher um, tell, talking to two boys, trying to persuade them to go and ask me to play with them. And the boy's very reluctant. And eventually they came up to me and said, do you want to play? And I put them out of their misery and said no and continued to walk up and down. Well, after a while, I learned English. I started to play with the other kids. I started to communicate. I started to, to be, be one of them. But I always felt different. I always felt, I described myself as this big brown lump that was in the middle of everyone. And I always felt I didn't fit in. And what I tried to do is I tried to make myself popular, can you believe this, with humour, with trying to be funny. And if they laugh at me, then maybe I'm in, maybe I'm all right, because I didn't have anything else. But all my growing up years, and then when I was 12 and 13, I had one and a half years where I almost completely shut down. It was too much effort to talk to anyone. It was too much effort to wonder what they were thinking. And I always thought when I was with other kids, they'd rather I wasn't there. They're being nice, but they don't want me there. I'm boring. I'm not cool, whatever it was. And, um, and I just shut down and I, I would hardly speak. And I've said this more than once and my poor interns, um, they've heard this song more than once as they've been traveling with me in the car. Um, there's a song by Simon and Garfunkel, which was kind of my song. And um, it, these were the days when music was proper music, not the rubbish we hear now. Um, and, uh, and there was this one song called, I am a rock, I am an island. And one of the lyrics is, um, uh, hiding in my room, safe within my womb. I touch no one and no one touches me. I am a rock, I am an island. And then the, another lyric is, um, Oh, I've forgotten it now. Yeah, it ends with, there's another lyric, um, I can't remember it now, but it ends with, um, and uh, a rock feels no pain, and an island never cries. And Paul Simon wrote some great lyrics, but that line was such a lie. It just wasn't true, uh, because this rock felt pain, and uh, this cr rock cried. And then I got to know Jesus. I met Jesus. I became a Christian uh, just before my 16th birthday. And that was the first healing, the healing relationally. You know, oh my goodness, you love me. You've forgiven me. You've wiped the slate clean. You're committed to me. And something did change. But unfortunately, you know, sometimes with physical healing and emotional healing, both of them sometimes happen in an instant. I've seen it. But sometimes, especially with emotional healing, it's a journey. And I've wondered about this. And sometimes I think it's a journey. Because if God changed our emotions immediately, I think we would have a breakdown. 
some of us. I don't think we would cope. And for me, there came a journey and the journey took a long time. There, there are some things I prayed about when I first became a Christian and God answered my prayers. There are some things I've been praying about all these years later and I'm still waiting for the answer. And the truth is, in some way, we're all going to limp into heaven. And I'm reminded of something John Wimber said, um, never trust a leader who doesn't walk with a limp. And I didn't understand that when I first heard it, but now I do. And, and it's, you know, if you, if, you, if you never have any brokenness, if everything in your life has been fine, then self-assurance can become arrogance. And arrogance uh, can, can sometimes become, without realizing it, conceit. And it's very hard to empathize with others. It's very hard to feel others' pain if, you, if you've never felt anything like that yourself. And that's not wishing people pain, but it's, it's just the way I think sometimes it works. Jesus took our pain um, and he is not unsympathetic with our weaknesses. Uh, that's what it says um, in the letter to the Hebrews. And, and so um, I became a Christian and uh, I ended up in leadership. We planted this church 29 years ago. And sometimes before I, before I ended up in leadership, I thought people that pastored churches and stood on platforms were sorted. That once you're sorted, you take up leadership in the church. And I have discovered that is just such a load of rubbish. Some of the most broken people I've ever met are church leaders. Um, and and the, the truth is, it's not true. And, and for me, even while I've been leading this church, there was a time up until some years ago where literally, literally, I'm, I'm just trying to be really honest here. Um, if I was away on a ministry trip and I came back, I had to fight to come to church the next Sunday because in my head was, they were all much happier without me. They probably had a great time the last two Sundays without me. And, um, you know, that, that they'll be nice to me if I go back, but because they have to, because the teacher tells them to, but they won't really want to. And then I have to, I, and, and I had a choice. Either I didn't go, which I couldn't not go because <laughs> the, the church paid my salary and I wouldn't be able to pay the mortgage and all of that stuff. And, and, or I went, and the only way I went was by exerting my authority. So when I would come back having been away, I would, well, I, I don't like the way the chairs, no, we're putting the chairs differently. Oh no, that's not, that's not how I want it. You're doing that? No, I'm not, I don't want it like that. No, 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 no. And I remember one time, uh, Martin and Emily Lazell, my friends, who were pastoring the church with me, they sat me down and they said, Mike, we're puzzled. We've noticed most of the time you're nice, but when you come back from a trip, it's like you're always in a bad mood and you turn into like a version of Adolf Hitler and you're, you're just, you, what, what's going on? And at the time, I couldn't answer them because I didn't, I didn't even know how to reflect on what was going on in my life. So it was like, I don't know. I don't know. And, and the truth is, I, I, I believed these lies that I had been in me 
all this time. And you know when you believe lies long enough, you cannot distinguish them from the truth. And in Revelation, Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. Day and night he accuses us. We need to know his tricks. And Jesus called Satan a liar and the father of lies. That means he keeps on flipping lying. Whereas Jesus said of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus also said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's the promise. The truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus says is what sets us free. But when we live in lies for so long, it's very, very hard to hear the truth. And, and literally, literally, when I was leading this church, and I was leading festivals of thousands of kids in the summer, and I was writing books, and everyone thought that I was doing all right, many evenings I would go home and I would go to my house, I would lock the doors, I would close the curtains, I would switch off the lights, and I remember I would find the one place where if anyone came round the back and looked through the back window, they wouldn't be able to see me, and I would think, I'm safe. No one can get me now. I'm safe. And I had to work so hard to come out of that place in order to function. It was exhausting. And many of us have to work so hard in order to function. And it ends up being exhausting, doesn't it? Now, some of you won't have a clue what I'm talking about. I can see that there are others of you that really do. Those of you that don't, God bless you. I'm pleased for you. But I think there's more that do. I'm banking on this than, than we think. And, and what it would be is, and even, and, and then, this is hard to say, so I'm a bit confused a little bit, but, but gradually the Lord healed me. And uh, I met someone um, who was a kind of... Um, into psychology, kind of like a counsellor from Scotland. And he explained about the things that affect us and different uh, types of people that we are. And for the first time, I know it sounds crazy, for the first time I understood myself. Up until then, I just knew, do you know like sometimes you, you react emotionally, you react with anger or hurt or pain and it's overwhelming and you don't know why. And it's like, whoa, where did that come from? And afterwards, you're embarrassed. Why did, why did I, what was that? How did I get there? Well, he explained certain things. And I suddenly, things in my past and in my background, they fell into place. And I thought, that's what was going on. It, it was hooking into that. It was hooking into that. And and literally, I then had to speak truth to myself. And at the same time, the Lord brought into my life um, a couple of people. Well, actually, Andy was one of those people. I hate saying this bit. But, you know, who, who saw me at my worst 
and didn't walk away and forgave me and kept coming back and kept speaking truth to me. And we all need those in our lives. We all need those in our lives. It's the grace of God. But, but I had to start speaking to myself. So it would be, you know, literally I'd walk into a room and if my friends were all in a, in a little circle, they were all, it's, I still have it now. If, if I walk into a room and my friends are all talking and laughing together, now I don't live there anymore, but I visit occasionally, especially when I'm tired. Isn't that when you're tired? It, it, it's harder. I would have to speak to myself and say, they don't hate me. They're not against me. They do love me. They won't in their hearts be thinking, oh no, the big brown lump has joined us. We'll pretend to be Christians and smile. You know, and I have to speak to myself and speak truth and speak the truth of the scripture and speak certain scriptures to my soul. And it's still sometimes a battle, but it's a battle that I win more times than I lose now. Do you see? And it's been a journey over years, over years. And I wish, I wish I'd had the reflection earlier. I wish, I wish that I'd understood earlier. There's an amazing verse at the beginning of Romans 12. And in fact, I'm going to, where is it? Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Listen to this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the renewing of your mind involves speaking truth to your mind and to your heart and, and giving others permission to speak truth to you um, as well. And, um, and even, it's, I'm going to say about your boys very quickly, um, one of the things with, with, with Andy's kids, like you've never heard any of this before, um, is, um, is that there have been times when one of them's been upset where I felt like out of control. And it's like, hey, hey, make it right. Give, give them what they want. They, no, no, don't, 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 don't cry. Oh. And, and like Andy and Beth, like, what's wrong with you? They're, they're boy, they're little kids. Of course they'll cry sometimes. You know, yeah, sometimes we're not going to give them an iPad to play for three hours. Sometimes we're not going to give them loads of chocolates. Why are you, what, what is it? And as I examined it, it was hooking in to my feelings when I was that age. Does that make sense? And it was like, oh my goodness. And you know, the sins of the fathers will be visited on the children to the third and fourth generation. I get that. I get that. Sometimes we, we, we project and we live out what we have what we have struggled with and what we have suffered with. Why have I been saying all this? Because I believe that the Lord is calling us to be a church where people can come out of hiding, where we don't have to pretend, where we can be vulnerable. And, and 
you know, be vulnerable with certain people that we can trust and know will not use it against us because this is meant to be a house of healing. This is meant to be a house of healing. This is meant to be a place where basket cases come and say, hey, I'm in a church full of other basket cases and so are the leaders and so this is all right. And it's not that we wallow in our brokenness. It's that we serve each other and pray for each other, that we come into wholeness. And we do it with patience, with grace, with love, with kindness. In a world that is full of secret shame, when, when, when so many people are afraid that if their secret thoughts or words or actions or something they did 30 years ago comes into the line, they will be shamed, they will be discarded. We want, and I believe the Lord wants us to be a church that embraces the broken. Now, I'm not saying if, if, someone's, if someone's done something that is abusive or anything like that, you know, there's consequences, but there shouldn't be hate because we're the church of Jesus. We're the church of Jesus. We're the church of Jesus. So we live like him and we follow him. And I want to say there's hope. There's hope for all of us. However broken, however addicted you might think you are, Jesus can break the power of that. And you know, some of our addictions are more, um, what's the phrase? Are more socially acceptable than others. You know what I'm talking about. You know, but it's all the same. It's all the same. And so, the love of God heals us and the love of God through the body of Christ heals us. And so we're tender-hearted, and we will see miracles happen. So this is one of four kinds of healing and they're all interlinked. I think I'll stop there. I hope you understand. And I hope by saying a little bit of my story, it helps you maybe to understand yours and that you're not unique, you're not different, you're not, you don't have to hide. Um, because the Lord is in this place. The Lord is in this place.